0: This week on backyard footy.
1: Knowing that somebody who's identifying players and selecting players Gosh. is gonna have a different mindset than anyone I've played for before Gosh. is huge. Because we're all all too often put in a box, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, they're able to do this.
0: I'm glad you said that. <laughs>
1: commenting always on our athletic ability yes. and never on our cognitive ability or technical yes. skills and it's so frustrating it's so frustrating especially then when you know our non-black counterparts will get praised <laughs> will get praised on their athletic ability or something when it it, it doesn't even compare you know trust i'm like me.
0: just <laughs> trust me
1: it's crazy so, yeah, it's sad, it's frustrating, it's difficult, but it's for sure one of the, the main reasons that I do the work I do.
0: What's up, footy fans? Your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman. Feels good to be back again and get going. I was able to find a little studio out here in Monterey. Gonna have some nice live additions for you guys, get some guys on my teams, get, get some uh, new stories getting getting going for you guys. But, yeah, it's been a whole past couple months for me, you know. Season just started. It's been a little slow start for us, so just trying to get the boys together and also having, you know, guests and other people kind of fake on me as well, too. So, you know, just just grinding and improving, you know, we keep it moving. But for episode 50, I have a special guest, my first female guest. I have Jasmine Spencer here with me of Angel City. She's also one of the co-founders of the, of the BWPC, and she has her own brand called Jazz It Up as well, too. Definitely check that out. But... It's an honor to have her. She's one of the pioneers of the Women's League. She was one of the first initial players in the league, 11-year pro, one of a very good friends of mine. I'm happy to introduce so without further ado, definitely subscribe and tune in on all platforms. Talk to you soon, footy fans. So what's up, Jazz? How's everything? How's the season going out in L.A.?
1: Uh, It's good. I can't complain. The weather is beautiful, so definitely been excited about that um yeah we're in the middle of the challenge cup right now going through some growing pains as an expansion team for sure but um other than that it's good can't complain
0: how's the expansion cup going
1: um yeah it's good it's they split us up into regions so we're in the west coast with um san diego the other expansion team Uh, Portland and Seattle so I personally think it's the hardest group Um, but it's good it's it's fun to play games again and um, yeah just a little trial before the regular season
0: starts. Inaugural teens is a little tricky, right? I'm actually dealing with that for myself. This is my first time being on an inaugural team for the first year. And it's a lot of growing pains, like you said, you know, finding you have no core really before even coming into it. You have to find your own identity. So I know that's not easy. I'm going through that right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you get so competitive, you know, like you want to be able to come out and play your best every game. and Exactly. Then- When the result doesn't go your way, you have to take a step back and be like, okay, yeah, like we're still figuring out our
0: principles.
1: (laughs) Um, Everything's not going to be perfect. But but yeah, it's good. You know, our, our, our group is good and we're just excited to be a part of this club. It's it's pretty surreal.
0: What's your role on the team this year, you would say?
1: Oh, actually, it's funny. So I'm for sure one of the oldest veterans on the team. Mm -hmm. but I'm also probably one of the only people who's been on an expansion team before so I feel like it's kind of like a little bit more of a responsibility because you're used to kind of taking a leadership role with like younger kids but also it's like you know people who have had the luxury of being at the same team for five six years and now having to be a part of a inaugural season like you said like they're like hey Je-, you know right, like right, what are right. some of the things that like right. you would focus on when you were in the first season at this expansion team and you know what are what are some non negotiable so I feel like it's a little bit more of a I guess outward leadership role than I'm used to I, I feel like I'm usually like lead by example
0: yeah. chill yeah. in
1: the back <laughs> kind of person um but I'm, I'm enjoying it I'm appreciating it and it, it's cool.
0: I'm laughing because me and you are kind of similar. I would say I lead by action myself. I'm actually the captain of the team this year. And we just got upset at last night in Open Cup. And me, typically, I'm you know I'm frustrated to myself. I'm going to pick myself up. Let's go. But I'm not really like a rah-rah kind of guy to get the group on. But now, as a leader, like you have to get out of your comfort zone. You can't just be to yourself. So I'm like, man, like it's actually like I'm, I'm my ninth year as a pro, but I'm growing. like It's brand new for me, too. So I feel you 100%. Exactly,
1: exactly. Do you have like um, difficulties on days where, like you said, like you're so used to kind of just taking care of yourself and making sure that you set a good example, but like, do you find it difficult to have to kind of be a little bit more um, social and like branch out to the rest of the team?
0: I would say, I wouldn't say it's like a difficult thing, but more so of me getting out of my comfort zone for sure. Uh, I would say, you know, typically on teams, you know, it's a couple of clicks here and there. You have your homies you're cool with, you kind of stay within your group and that's that. But now I definitely find myself checking up on each and every guy, making sure everyone's healthy now, making sure everyone's there mentally, too. And it's not necessarily like I was kind of talking about before me, you know, staying within my own bubble. I have to now get out of my comfort zone and, you know, branch out. So it's me definitely each and every day. I'm growing more and more into that role. Definitely. I'm not just I didn't have it down packed, you know, as soon as the preseason started. But as these weeks have gone by, I'm getting more comfortable with the group. So, yeah, definitely a little bit, but I'm growing with it.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: So briefly give us a timeline of how you got here.
1: Ooh, it's a crazy story. Um, so my draft class, I my last playing year in college was 2011. And um, that was the last season that the old league, the WPS, was playing. So my draft class, we all got drafted into that league, um, I think either end of December or like beginning of January 2012. Um, And then like three weeks later after the draft, you know, we're all like, hi, Mm -hmm. like, yes, we're gonna be professional soccer player. Um, We get an email saying that the league had folded. Mm, And so yeah, it was crazy. A lot of girls who had been in the league or had contacts, hopped overseas really quick before the the European transfer window closed. But a bunch of us kind of who were just starting or at the early stages of our career didn't really have uh, a plan B. So for me, I had withdrew from my final semester of college because I was like, I'm all in, I'll finish school later. Mm -hmm. And then when the league folded, I went to re-enroll and I missed the deadline. So I couldn't even get back into school. Wow. Um, and then a bunch of the teams, uh, who were in the league, they basically came together and they were like, we need to provide something Mm -hmm. for these women. So, um, they made like a, like a semi pro league. It was just for the summer. It was like April to July. Mm
0: -hmm. And we got
1: paid per game, like $200 Mm -hmm. per game. And, um, we did that. And then I feel like from that experience, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, if I have to go overseas to be a professional, I'll do it. Um, but I still kind of had this like, like, I want to finish school. I'm so close. Uh, and a friend of mine who I used to play with actually did like a small three week um, study abroad program. And she was like, "Your scholarship will cover it. Like, you should look into it." And so I looked into the study abroad programs that were offered. I went to the University of Maryland, so um, they they were so good and. The only place I could go to finish my degree was Denmark. And I I couldn't even like point it out on a map. I was like, I don't know where this country is, but this is where we're going. Um, So I went. I lived in Copenhagen while I was there studying. I tried out for a bunch of different teams. I wound up um landing on a, a team in the top division and i got to play champions league it was it was such an incredible experience and then i was getting all ready to sign abroad too yeah yeah wow. all while studying wow. like i just took student athlete <laughs>
0: right. right um
1: yeah and i was getting ready to finish uh finish signing a contract extension for the next year to just stay in denmark i like finished my degree i was excited and uh they announced that the, the NWSL was going to be formed the next season. So I took my chances, came back home. Um, and yeah, 10 10 years later, here here I am.
0: How did you balance school and you no know, champions league? That's it's not just any kind of tournament. This is the top tournament in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, I for one had amazing um professors with my program who, who loved they love soccer. They were very supportive. So I was able to, uh, miss class and, uh, just like make an arrangement to like, you know, get my notes, get the work. Um, but also I just think like being in, being in Europe and like the, the appreciation for soccer there is different. So the lifestyle is different. Most of the girls on the team were either working a full-time job or, or in school. Um, which is kind of the status of women's soccer around the world, Um, especially 10 years ago, you know, there weren't a ton of full professional leagues. Um, So it wasn't that different from, you know, the women on the team already. But I think what really was unique is that because it was kind of immersed in the culture already, the professors were like, Oh yeah. Like what you get to play champions league. Like, I support that and I support you and um, we'll, we'll work something out. So I think I was just very fortunate um, to be able to do both. And especially early in my career where, you know, right. coming out of college, you're used to that, you right. know, maybe professors don't like it, but they understand that that is the agreement between you and the, the college. Right. Um, so to have that experience kind of in the real world, um, it was just really fortunate to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, to have people that understand the culture too, it goes a long way and it kind of give, gave you, you know, the love that you need to focus on your craft. I actually wanted to take things, kind of a step back a little for a sec though. So I know you're born in Long Island out in New York and I know you were a dual athlete as well too. I wanted to talk about kind of like the footy culture in New York. How did you get involved with the game? Is that kind of what inspired you? And then talk about actually the benefits of, I also know you were a dual athlete as well too. Kind of, I also asked people who were do athletes, do you feel like that was a plus for you and helped you in this, uh, in your realm right now, too, to get you where you are?
1: Yeah, 100%. So I feel like my family, we love sports. So, and I'm the third child, I have two older brothers. So they played everything. Soccer was their favorite sport. My mom was a goalkeeper. So uh, I think we had an extra special love for soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, And everyone played soccer on on Long Island, really like you can bump into anybody and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I played rec when I was like five, six. It was a thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And my town in particular, there's Bayshore and right next to us is Brentwood. And um, it's pretty diverse. So I always tell people that I'm super fortunate because my first competitive soccer team was full of black and brown girls. Like Mm -hmm. our, our trainer was from El Salvador. Like I didn't know anything different than playing the game with people who looked like me. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I started to think about, you know, I want to play in college and I need to be in these elite teams and I need to be going to these showcases. And when I transferred clubs, and started competing, you know, at that high level of club, that I realized like, whoa, like what happened to everybody who looked like me? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. like I know that I know that we love this game. I know that we're good at this game, but like, where is everybody? And that's probably the first, you know, when I started to get into high school, the first time that I realized that the game isn't really as inclusive or or the access to the game isn't as inclusive as it should be and, and mm-hmm. can be. Um, And I think I carried that, you know, I carried it through college. I went to the university of Maryland, like I said, also a very diverse school. So anytime there was, you know, little black or brown girls at the game, I I spent extra attention to them, you know, being like, this could be you, you want to play in college, you can do that. Because I remember, you know, when I was their age that I had a team like that. And why was it that I was one of the only few to make, to make it, you know? Um, And I think I carry that, you know, with my work with the today. BWPC and yep. yeah everything yep. that I'm doing today
0: for sure. And that's kind of exactly why I asked you about the culture from where you're from and your upbringing too because that speaks volumes to you know why we do this so you know the DMV is very diverse I was actually blessed myself to have my one and only black coach in middle school Caribbean guy who we had a very diverse Caribbean Spanish team that you know it was like a family to me and that kind of got me started to my first select team and everything too but I feel like we're very fortunate to come from big cities like D.C. and New York that has that culture where people understand mm-hmm. soccer in general too. California here is actually kind of the same thing a little bit too. When I go to parks, I see kids playing soccer, but you really mm-hmm. don't see that often and a lot. And, and as I climbed up myself as well, I saw less and you get to the academy system and into college, you see less of us playing this game and you start to wonder why. I wish I was like you early in my college career, kind of like a pioneer already talking to the black youth. I was definitely involved with the youth but I was more I was kind of involved with my personal career. It wasn't until I turned pro to actually focus on, like I was off the field. It was always my family first, but not necessarily getting involved into the community kind of things. But what you, what you did from college on is inspiring the next generation too. And I think we all need to kind of do that and give back and then you can just spend some time with us too, because it speaks volumes and we need more of us to play this game. Yeah, 100%. Why UND of all schools?
1: Oh, actually that's a funny story. I, Maryland wasn't even like on my radar. Like my dad loved the ACC. He loved Maryland growing up like Maryland basketball. And so like was a fan, but it was, and it was like in my, I think, original top 25, but it wasn't like when it was coming down to where I wanted to go. It wasn't, it wasn't out on the top of my list, mm-hmm. I wanted to go to UNC Wilmington because you know I grew up on the island. I lived at the beach all yeah. the time. They had yeah. this incredible marine biology program. I was like, that's my school. And I went to visit Maryland and them in the same week. And um, Maryland had you know all the big school facilities and everything, and I was like, this is cool. And then I got down to Wilmington and I was like a mile from the beach and I was like, nope, I'm home, Yeah, this is it. Um, And close to the end of my recruiting process, uh, the coach from Wilmington wrote me and said, listen, we just signed a a local North Carolina girl um, and we're not going to have the scholarship money that you deserve. So we want to let you give you the chance to explore other opportunities. And I'm so, so, so grateful for him doing that and not you know just trying to get me for cheap or anything and really caring about my well-being yeah. um, because ultimately I I just couldn't afford to go to Wilmington without the scholarship and Marilyn offered it to me and so I was like reluctantly like I guess I'll go to Maryland. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> yeah. but it, it wound up being the best thing for me yeah and, yeah you yeah. know everything works yeah. out how it's supposed to
0: for a reason right? Yep. Do you have a why to why you're doing this?
1: My why is just, I mean, I guess it's multidimensional. Like my family, I feel like I'm so fortunate from the being born and raised in the family that I come from being so close knit and having them support me. And I know that that's not the case amongst our community. And I just want to extend that love and respect to people like us. Um, and just let them know that they can do anything they want. And also, it just makes me happy. Like, being that for somebody else brings me joy. Same, same. So, it sounds kind of crazy, but like, I'm partially doing it to help us, but also because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm, so,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Why do these things as well, too? You know, it's impactful seeing kids smile and, you know, get motivated and actually just like listen to you and you know that they're soaking everything up like a sponge, because that's how we were, too, you know?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: So you go to the combine, get drafted. Did you have a welcome to the NWSL moment, like a wow moment?
1: Uh, I feel like my whole rookie season was a wow moment. We were like, (laughs) we had like maybe six veterans and they were kind of toward the end of their career. So, you know, they were knowledgeable and they were great, but there was no kind of core group of veterans. It was like the 6 of them and then like 18 either rookie or mm-hmm. you know only played overseas and we were terrible. I think <laughs> we won like five games maybe out of the wow. whole season. Wow. Um so, so that whole season was a learning curve and I I think that the next layer to that is I I went to Cyprus in the off season uh for a small a small team but they were also in Champions League so it was a good you know, I, I, knew I was going to get a good uh, training environment and competitive game environment. Um, and back then our season was literally four and a half months. So, so I needed to continue yeah. to play. Yeah. Um, so I, I was doing great, you know, scored a couple goals in champions league. I was like, I'm coming year two, I'm coming. <laughs> and, and my coach, uh, he seemed really supportive. And then I got home from Cyprus right around Christmas time. And like a week later, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. We have to waive you. Mm. And I'm like, what? Like, you've been following all this, you know, accomplishments I've had in the offseason. I'm ready. I, you know, had a good end of the season with you, you know, and that's when I realized that this is a business, you know, this this is the real deal. And, you know, there were only 18 players on a roster then and and eight teams so not only is it a business but it's like there's no room for anybody Ah, unless you're willing to fight and compete and Mm -hmm. and show that you deserve to earn a contract Mm -hmm. um so that's like the probably the first time i was like okay do you really really want to do this because we're not making any money you know on top of that so you have to be willing to have no stability in your life to chase this dream. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted it, I wanted it bad. So I got invited to, uh, preseason with Western New York flash. They're now the North Carolina courage. Um, but yeah, I, I went on trial with them in preseason and made that roster. And I feel like my mindset had changed my first year. I was like, I'm a professional like I I got a contract. This <laughs> is a dream. I'm getting paid to play and then year 2 on it was like no, I need to prove to people that I'm the real deal to yeah. keep my contract and to be in consideration to make not only make a roster but then be in a starting 11 consistently.
0: Perfect segue because I wanted to dive into your career, a very illustrious career. I mean, back and forth a lot from NWSL to the W League in Australia, to Europe too, and you touched on the mental aspect of it all. How was it like mentally for you almost every year, you know, kind of going back and forth and dealing with the transition from a European style to the American style?
1: Yeah, it was hard. It was hard because I feel like I was growing certain aspects of my game, but also sacrificing others. And it just depended on the league I was in. Um, When I was in Europe, it's it's such a tactical game. Mm. that you know and growing up through in the U.S. system like it's very like athleticism based you you need a technical foundation but if you have a level of athleticism like you can squeak by you know and and that doesn't matter in Europe so Mm. um adding that to my game especially early on in my career I feel like is what started to set me apart when I would come back in Okay, true. To end of USL. Very true. Um, the NWSL, and then you know it started to mold me into a more complete player, um, mm-hmm. and and I was better for it for sure. But it was also like the only thing you really could do because our season was so short. Uh, you know, a lot of people yeah. would play in the NWSL and then like coach at a college in the offseason right. or get a real job and have to like train on their own,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
1: that was just a lot, you know, especially for somebody early in their career where you're not really established. I felt like you couldn't take those months off. You had to continue to to build your resume. And so for me, it was just about getting better and finding um, ways to play year round.
0: So you would say kind of branching out, getting out of your comfort zone, trying new, new experiences, almost like leveled you up and added more you know, weapons to your arsenal kind of thing.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And it just, like, I started to feel like, oh, I can be considered not only one of the best in the league, but the world, because now, you know, I'm playing in Champions League where I'm running into the Barcelonas and you know of the world and maybe my team isn't great but I'm getting that experience of playing yeah. against those players and then coming back into the NWSL and you know being able to be more confident because I'm not only seeing the best American players but the best right. internationals and right. the same with Australia yeah. um, you know the Australian women's team they're top five in the world they're great yeah. Yeah. and and playing against them in the offseason season. Um, you know, it just, it made me more confident and, and my abilities and just like be able to grow as a player at the same time.
0: And cause I, I, I wasn't on your aspect as well, but I've been just my fifth team now, in my nine years as well. And a lot of it I didn't want to go, but a business, like we said, we had to learn and I've actually Thought of it, you know, just thinking back, it's actually been a blessing that I bounced around in different markets and different coaches and different systems because it's actually elevated my game as well. Because you learn and take bits and pieces and kind of elevate yourself, too? And I advise especially young players, you're comfortable in your academy and your market, but it's time sometimes to just get out there and branch out and grow. And I'm glad you touched on that as well, too, because it's great for people to hear the growth sometimes that you get when you leave your comfort zone and just try different things because it's important to even if it kind of goes bad, it still brings you know, your mental toughness up and it gets you stronger to where you need to be next kind of thing too. So I appreciate yeah. you touching on that.
1: hundred percent. So in
0: 2019, you tore your AC off after not having too many injuries and took almost two to three years off. I know COVID played a little role in that as well too. So I want to talk about definitely how did you persevere from that? And also what was the bubble situation like for you guys and how did you guys deal with that during that time for yourself?
1: Yeah, honestly, it feels like a time loop. And I know I'm not the only <laughs> one who who lost it. But like tearing my knee the year before COVID. It's like I skipped like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I tore my ACL, I, I knew it immediately. Mm. I was like, it felt like when you sprained your ankle, but in your knee. And I was like, I just laid there and was like, damn. Yeah. It definitely just tore my ACL. Yeah. Um, and I thought I was like immune to that. I was like, <laughs> even, even the doctor, my one of the surgeons that I met with, he was like, you are not the typical physique <laughs> yeah. of someone who tears their ACL, but like things happen. Yeah. Um, And I think I just really made a decision. I was like, this sucks, but I'm not going to let this define me. Like I'll be back. And I know it sounds crazy because it's a long injury and it's taxing. Like I've cried, screamed, like I had bad days for sure. But I just chose to be happy through that all and to just take it in stride. And um, I think, again, I just like credit my family for being such an incredible support system through it all. And my now husband, like he he's been on this journey with me since year one of my career. So, um, yeah, like he, he, he was there every step of the way, helping me bend my knee, you know, being my punching bag when I need, but also lifting me up when I need and just, you know, believing in me and my ability to come back. And so coming back, I would say, I think it took like 10 and a half months, Mm -hmm. um, you know, feeling good, getting ready. And then, yeah, having COVID shut down the leak, I was like, oh my God, like, am I gonna ever play soccer again, you know? Um, but I think I, I just wanted to play again so bad that it I didn't care how long it took.
0: Gotcha. Um,
1: and then, yeah, we we found out we were gonna do the Challenge Cup and, and live in a bubble, and it was crazy. Like, <laughs> we, were, we, we were in a bubble for two months because we were, I was in Seattle at the time, and that's where the cases kind of started gotcha um and so you couldn't do anything in the state of washington where other uh-huh. teams kind of would have you yeah. know restrictions but like they could train we could not train as a team in that state so we we went to montana for a month and we were in a bubble in montana <laughs> and then, like oh, living, oh. literally living wow. they packed up like moving like big box trucks we all put our stuff in there for like what we needed to live for two months Wow! our staff drove it from seattle to montana we flew um and then we were in montana for a month and then they drove from montana to utah salt lake was hosting our our bubble Mm -hmm. so then the staff drove our stuff to salt lake and then we were in a bubble in salt lake so for two months All we saw was ourselves really it was crazy uh and it was tough you know like it it was really really intense the games are intense to begin with let alone you know being secluded right um and then we you came out of it and i remember we went back to seattle like two months later and it was like like a back to the future moment (laughs) like people were walking around yeah yeah this is crazy. Um,
0: Would you I'm say grateful. mentally that was a tougher year than like your average full season year outside?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Because there was no time. There was no time to, you know, preseason was four weeks, and then the tournament was four and a half weeks. Right. And that was it, and we didn't know if we were going to have a season after that. Mm-hmm. So it was like this is your four and a half weeks out of the whole year mm-hmm. where you get to compete. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it would be like any major tournament, like if you're playing in a World Cup or an Olympics or, or Euros, you know, it's it's at such a tiny bit of time frame that you're competing, but you've prepared mm-hmm. years <laughs> mm-hmm. for. that's what it felt like, especially coming off of my knee. Um, so, yeah, it was super intense.
0: What So would you say mental toughness is more important than physical?
1: Yeah, 100 percent, because I feel like as an athlete you expect to have some physical pain whether it's you know fit you know training your fitness level right. or getting stronger in the gym or picking up an injury like you know that that's a part of the game and you can kind of prepare for that but having the mental toughness to deal with the things that you don't right. know are coming right. at you right. Right. is <laughs> is what separates i think yes. people from becoming a pro the type of career you have as a pro yeah. and your, and your longevity because yes. it's, it's a tough career.
0: Yes,
1: It's not all blitz and glam and you, you have to have the head for it for sure. Yeah.
0: That's exactly why I ask you. Cause I, I'd say the same exact thing, literally, even the, the aspect of re-signing new contracts every single year. Like that is very tough. Signing your first contract is tough, but renewing every year for different clubs and different markets. I mean, you're especially you going overseas is very tough to do. And, you know, not even just that, but every day, that means you have to keep your fitness sharp, your touches sharp. That's a lot. There's a lot of pressure every single day. And we, I know you've seen it. I've seen it in my career. Our friends and just peers around us, probably even more talented than us, just quitting and giving up or even, you know, you actually touch on another good point. If you don't have the mental strength, your career actually doesn't go in the way that you want it to go either. You know, a lot of those things play a role too. And it's kind of something that it doesn't happen naturally. You just build it up over experience. And it's like you said, up to you. And I commend you for having that positive mindset because I doubt you'd even be here today if you weren't, you know, pushing yourself and motivating to get back to where you were before.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So being a black woman in the sport, I know you're one of the co-founders of the BWPC. You've been doing this movement for a while. But before I touch into that, I wanted to ask you growing up, you did mention you are on a very um, diverse team, but when you got to college and the program and everything, what are some disparities you face? Have you, and also have you seen too many black coaches as well as you've gone throughout your career?
1: I have had three, one is my, one is my dad. So two, <laughs> <laughs> two black coaches, um, my assistant coach, in college was black and my assistant coach when I played in Orlando was black. And actually we just we just signed a, a, another, we added another member to our coaching staff here in LA um, who's black, but apart from that, of all the years of all the coaches, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now on one hand, um, and it's, it's difficult because, I feel like your relationship with your coach is also multidimensional, you know, like this is somebody who's your leader. You look to learn to, but also like at this stage, they're invested in your life too. And so when they don't fully understand what you're, what you're going through at times, it's hard. It's hard to gain that level of trust Mm -hmm. um, and respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And you always want to be respectful of course, but you know, it's hard when, when you can't really relate to them. Um, right, right. and it's, you know, it's something that I know we, both of us are working towards advocating for more diversity, but not only in the coaching staff, but like front office staff, like mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I've i never seen a black GM yeah. ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or just like, we have our director of sport who does all of our recruiting. She's, she's a black woman. She, um, I think she has like over a hundred caps for England. Incredible. But like having her there, you know, and just like knowing that somebody who's identifying players and selecting players is gonna have a different mindset than anyone I've played for before is huge. Because we're all all too often put in a box, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. oh, they're able to do this.
0: I'm glad you said that.
1: commenting always on our athletic ability and never on our cognitive ability or technical yes. skills and it's so frustrating it's so frustrating especially then when you know our non-black counterparts will get praised <laughs> will get praised on their athletic ability or something when it it, it doesn't even compare you know trust i'm like me.
0: just <laughs> trust me
1: it's crazy Easy. So yeah, it's sad. It's frustrating. It's difficult, but it's for sure one of the, the main reasons that I do the work I do off the
0: field too. And, and it's exactly why I ask why, because people always ask, why is this even important, right? Little things like literally I've been on a away trip where a white coach is just talking to random reserve white players, which is great, but they, you know, natural human tendencies, you're comfortable with your own kin and who you're used to. So I couldn't even knock them sometimes when I see them putting their arms over so-and-so instead of me and not having that conversation, right? You see those a lot of little nuances or you're on the field as you mentioned about positions and you're really only restricted to, I was a striker actually my whole life and was recruited as a striker at George Mason. And then as we say, if you're fast and black, you get moves to the back. And I got moved to the back and we're usually just a center back, outside backs, wingers or strikers. And it's literally every time, but we have the abilities and the cognitive, especially abilities to you know handle the middle of the park. So. Why touching these things with the recruiting process, the front offices, who we're hiring, the coaching staff, all these things matter because you know we want to ultimately create a safe, included environment, but it can't be inclusive if there's people that aren't aren't like minded like us, too. So, I'm glad you touched on all that, is what exactly why I asked.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I don't know if you experienced this too, but I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of young black players get pigeonholed because of their athletic ability. Then then coaches don't feel the need to continue to coach the other areas of the game. Cause mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, they're already better. Like, no, you're hindering that player's potential, by not even continuing to focus on the other area of the game. So it's like, so damn true. if you do damn, if you don't kind of, it's <laughs> just, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's
0: right, tough. man. That's a good point. So during the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, I personally remember seeing, I guess a little controversy in an NWSL, some women kneeling, some women not kneeling. How was the, what were the combos like during that time? I know it was a tough situation for everybody across the world, honestly. How did you guys manage that that situation?
1: Yeah, I I was really fortunate. I was at Seattle at the time and Seattle, Club from you know year one has been so diverse, so inclusive, um, and so open minded, and really built a team around people who are open minded. So we kind of went back to the beginning. We had a book club. We talked about why racism exists, why it's still prevalent, um, what what the black experience looks like today, why kneeling is important, um, and there were some painful conversations in there. But I think because the organization and the team was so loving and caring; it was a safe space. Mm. And uh, having that space to um, have those difficult conversations and then grow from them um, was huge. And so we were one of the few clubs where everyone was kneeling, mm. which was amazing. But the disparity between the teams was one of the biggest reasons we started the BWPC. You know, because we were fortunate here at seattle and then there were some other clubs where you had players not even coming out of the tunnel and you know one or two black girls having to come out to want to you know stage their protests and and you know show solidarity for a movement on their own and not even feeling support from their team right and so, one of the main reasons we started the BWPC was just to create a safe space for ourselves, for all the Black girls across the league to know that you know we are here for each other, um, no matter what team you play on. Like we get it. We we wanted to create just a resource for ourselves, right. and then take that and extend it into our communities as well.
0: Right, right, right. How what what's the BWPC's mission? I wouldn't say just today, but throughout the course of the years, what's been the main framework for you guys?
1: Yeah, we want to empower all women of color, specifically young Black girls, but not just in the sport of soccer. We want them to know that whatever facet of life, that there's a path to success. And we want to start to build those relationships. So, you know, beyond their engagement in soccer, they feel like they can they can get to that next level through us. So we've got some really cool initiatives coming up this year that, um, aren't just soccer related. I think, you know, working with you all and the BPC on the mini pitches has been huge. That was huge for us last year. And we're definitely going to continue with that. Um, but we're also going to touch on areas, um, like mental health, wellness and hygiene, um, other area like leadership um and just partnering with other different organizations to to bring some really cool initiatives to life so Love yeah it. it's gonna be great
0: it's needed it's needed i'm glad you guys are doing this on, on your side as well too but lastly before we touch on your brand i have to ask personally because it's very different in the men's game but what's the difference some differences between a male's coach and a female's coach we kind of, you tend to see that kind of often in the women's sport but don't see that at all in the men's world. But what's kind of the differences between both genders, you know?
1: Yeah, I feel like that's, uh, I guess, opportunity. You know, it's just like 10 times harder for a woman to prove that they are qualified to get that job, um, which in and of itself is an issue. Um, But also on the flip side, there are a lot of men who come in and they think because they've coached boys or men before that they have an understanding of the women's game and how to, how to coach women. And it's two completely different things, you know, the game's different. Um, player management is different. And without that experience, um, coaches fail and, and sometimes clubs think it's that coach and they're not understanding that. No, it's not, it's not that the it's not like you need to find another man and it was that coach like sometimes you need to go out and find a different caliber of coach one that can relate to your players that understands the women's game understands player management um and that there are qualified women out here that can 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 do the job
0: right exactly 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 why i asked too because we tend to see a lot of male actually dominating kind of the women's industry and I'm just like there's a lot of talented women you guys are all playing going into the coaching realm so why can't you circle back into the same thing it's a wicked system a male dominated system Mm -hmm. so you see it and that's exactly why I asked so talk to us about your brand Jazz It Up how did it get started what's your mission and everything and your vision for it
1: yeah Jazz It Up it's about five years old now that's crazy Um, I started it when I was in Orlando and really it's just an extension of myself and just, you know, encouraging people to live with intention and um, discipline. And there's a definitely an aspect that I, that I tie into sustainability growing up on Long Island and living at the beach. I just have such a love for um, the environment. And so I kind of built it around this idea that we need to protect our planet. And we need to protect the people that we share it with. And uh, not a lot of people are aware of how, you know, our day-to-day habits affect right, others right. and affect the planet. And so it's kind of just like a, a educational space really. And mm-hmm. I, I share my message through clothing. Um, so, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I like Anything it. Anything exciting
0: coming up this year with, the, with you guys?
1: Um, I've got a couple things in the works. Hopefully they'll, um, be ready later in the summer. Right now, um, I'm still, uh, running this collection that I partnered with an organization called SBP. They provide, um, Disaster relief to families affected by natural disasters. Hmm. So the collection is called Gone by 2050, and it basically focuses on all the major cities that could potentially be underwater or basically inhabitable because of the effects of climate change starting as early as 2050. Um and, you know, I've said it like three times, but literally growing up on Long Island and being victim to Hurricane Sandy and all these crazy superstorms, you know. My dad worked for the power company and was on mandatory 16 hour shifts when, when that storm came through and wow. seeing people's homes get washed away and um you know experiencing that and knowing that people are still going through that year after year. I just wanted to shed some light on it and find a way to provide some resources to people who are are still dealing with that. So um that's my latest collection. <laughs> Love and that. Yeah, thank you. That's some new stuff later in the year.
0: Where can they find you? We'll find the brand and where can they find you?
1: Um, so we are on Instagram, jazz it up, J-A-S it up underscore official. Also my website, jazzitupofficial.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at JSpence3, J-A-Y-Spence3.
0: I'll tag her and make sure you guys follow her. Definitely check out her brand too. She's doing great stuff, but follow the Everything, her work, her career, the mission from the women's group and everything. Jazz, this is a great episode. I really appreciate you again for hopping on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Stay tuned, you guys. Talk to you guys soon. Backyard Footies brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network podcast. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the bgnfm.